What's the most amount of match points you've ever saved in a match? <laughs> uh, what, and then gone on to win? Because I've saved lots and then still lost. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, okay, both. I'm not sure, actually. I, saving match points and going on to win, I'm pretty sure I've done kind of one or two. Never really more than that. Okay. Uh, I've had seven match points and lost. Oh. So me and tennis on the same level here. Yeah, that was to qualify for my first ever slam. Oh, no. First ever. And I ended up losing 15-13 in the final set. And I had all my match points at the end of the second set. Um, my opponent was cramping badly. And <laughs> this doesn't get me better, I knew all I it? needed to do was hit a drop shot. And I couldn't. I couldn't hit a drop shot. And uh, yeah, so that was... That was possibly one of the toughest losses ever. I wasn't really a crier after losing, but to have seven match points for your first main draw of a Grand Slam, to go and be there uh, and then uh, not go, <laughs> it was pretty rough. And then she went and she did really well. She went and won matches. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, Were you happy for her? <laughs> I'm totally over it. Now, now I'm not <laughs> comparing that... To Tennis Sangren against Roger Federer. Yeah, we probably shouldn't because it's slightly No, different. but there are similarities. Why could you not, with your opponent cramping, why could you not do what you needed to do? Because there are similarities in, in that sense. Why, why could he not cross the finish line at that time? I know there was some great stuff from Federer, but at the same time, come on. So there are... So why <laughs> Come why? on, tennis. And look, and I, I haven't been in, in this situation at all, but, but why could you not, in that situation, do what you needed to do, especially... In your case, when your partner was, when your opponent was cramping, because I got tight, so tight, I totally choked it. There was one return that she absolutely slapped down the line and just cleaned the line. It was just an absolute like go for it, slapped that one down the line, and then the rest. That was the only one that she actually saved herself. The rest was me just being terrified and really tight. And um, yeah, it was a it was a difficult difficult moment. Let's not compare me to tennis Sangren. The level of pressure is obviously astronomically higher when you're playing Federer, <laughs> and of course, for some reason, tennis just loves the Australian Open. But uh, yeah, quite extraordinary. He had seven as well, right? So it's the same. Yeah. Ah, oh, see, we are pretty much the same level. I get it. It was interesting. I was I was having a break and I'd gone to get some food, and in the media dining area the Australian Open they've got the screens everywhere so you can keep an eye and and <laughs> there was uh, last night <laughs> we had um, I will go back to Federer but last night we had a set off to grab some food so you really hope when it's your set off it's a really long hour long set ends in a tie break so you can have a nice meal sit down and regroup <laughs> so I went up to get some food there's a bit of a queue I think I decided to order some pasta so I'm waiting 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 and suddenly I get it, I sit down and there's like, it was Djokovic Raonic and it was like one game left. So I'm inhaling boiling hot pasta. I don't know what's <laughs> in it. It's just, I'm just, it's literally going down. It's burning my mouth. Someone came over and tried to talk to me as I was inhaling pasta, telling me that, did I know that they'd seen my shoes? I've got Stan Smith, the Adidas shoes. So I'm, I'm, I'm inhaling oh. pasta with about five minutes to get back to the commentary box and do the next set. And I'm approached and, and they say, did you know or do you know that Stan Smith is not a shoe? Wow. 
And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, as I inhale, inhale this food, and I charge back to the commentary box. Um, but Roger Federer, and yes, I did know that Stan Smith wasn't a shoe. Um, Roger Federer. <laughs> um, I looked up at the screen. I was having lunch with a friend, and he was a set and love three down, but that wasn't what got me. It then said, Roger Federer's having a medical timeout. And you know, when you look, I suddenly thought, none of this makes sense. <laughs> like, uh, I don't understand yeah. any of this. So I had to go back to our commentary box, which is on the Rod Laver Arena, and then we know what went on from there. But, I mean, that's absolute, it's absolutely incredible. to For Tennis Sangren, how does... There are so many positives for him to take, but I imagine it's going to take him a while to get to, get to the positives. Yes, I, I think so. I really enjoyed his tweet afterwards, wasn't it? it was, did he say, is it a double shot for every match point you don't convert or something? So I think an indication that he was going to go and try and enjoy himself because he's had a great tournament. He's had some big wins. Once again, he's not very good at winning Grand Slam matches, except for at the Australian Open. And uh, I, I commentated on his match against Matteo Berrettini and that I was saying in that match, you know, is this the turning point? Is this the start of a big run for tennis? Again, you know, at the Australian Open, could it be? And it obviously was. And it was nearly, nearly one better. But yeah, he was phenomenal, I think. He really has clearly been working incredibly hard. But, uh, oof. I mean, it's a heartbreaker. It'll take a while to get over it. I mean, if you think Petra Kvitova was talking about the final of the Australian Open last year and how it took her kind of months to get over it because um, she lost that one from being so close as well. So, yep, it's one of those things, but I guess it makes you stronger. Oh, just hate it when people say that. I was going to say, he doesn't want to hear that right now. <laughs> um, not that he's listening to this. But I was thinking that he <laughs> he comes in at 100 in the world. The live rankings when he played Roger Federer, he was 56. And if he'd beaten Federer, and he had the seven match points, he would have gone to 35. I mean, this is verging on life-changing stuff right because you get to 35 in the world you're in all the masters tournaments you can plan your schedule the door is wide open possibly more money comes in etc etc and one point away from having a very different year yeah I think you could say it's possibly a life-changing match and I think players know when they're in those situations and I think he will know that that could really transform things for him but still look he's playing really well I think he just if he just keeps playing like that then he's going to do really well the rest of the year and his rank is going to go up and I think lots of things are going to um, improve for him so I just yeah lots of positivity for him I think for sure because last time there was lots of kind of hubbub around him and his Twitter activity and and his opinions and that sort of thing whereas this time you know that's all been done this is the second time it's happened and everyone could actually just focus on his tennis it turns out he's actually pretty good I've come to the conclusion I don't like sleeveless tops currently we have Rafa Nadal playing Dominic team as we record this I don't like sleeveless tops yeah I don't I don't care what state the arms are in and the chances are you're only going to wear them if you're happy with your arms. I'm talking the men here. Um, not a fan at all. Even Rafa. Don't like them. I just don't. Just add no. a sleeve. I just don't like the look right. of the okay. sleeveless top. Yeah. I know. Okay. Fair enough. I don't know. I don't mind a bit of difference. That's the thing. You know, I like kits to be different. Although, 
as we discussed last week, the kits, uh, the Australian Open, I think more misses than hits, I would say, overall. <laughs> now, <laughs> I with the time difference, I, I still haven't really figured out what's going on and where. But the, I think it, last Friday, I nearly called you and I don't know what time it would have been, and said, we have to record a podcast. Now, we do our one a week, but I suddenly thought we've got to do another one because Serena Williams had gone out and Caroline Wozniacki was now retired. And I was like, I need to speak to you. I know we need to do a podcast. But I think it probably would have been about three o'clock in the morning your time. Yeah, it would have very much been an emergency podcast. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. But so much had happened. Do you know what? The tournament was just kind of trundling along, wasn't it? Everything was just going. There were no massive upsets. Okay, Berrettini had gone out, but about it. Everybody was kind of still in. The top 10 women were still in. And then suddenly, bang, just as I was saying, do you know what? We haven't really had any upsets. And again, I think I mentioned this last week, but I don't like upsets because I like watching the big players fall. It's much more about watching the underdogs seize their moment and step up and get the big wins like like tennis has done throughout this tournament. But I, yeah, it, it, it kind of, it, it was like a domino effect, wasn't it? One thing happened and it all just started un, unravelling, really, I think, for a lot of the top players. But Serena, I will now concede that she will not win this tournament. I finally (laughs) accept. (laughs) I think we're, what, four days after she lost? But I will happily accept that I may have got that wrong. Do you also concede, agree, now think, that her window of opportunity for equaling the record, let alone breaking the record, is closing and it's a lot smaller? It is getting smaller and smaller. Yes, I agree. There are quite a few players floating around at the top that can produce a phenomenal level. And now, I mean, bad news for Serena is that at this tournament, we're, of course, missing Andreescu, who is another one who can play tennis that is too good for Serena. Uh, We also have Halep. Now we've got Muguruza back in the mix. So there's another one. We thought, you know, if you were Serena, you were probably thinking, don't need to worry so much about her anymore. What, you know, whatever, I don't know, however that may, might have affected her. But now the amount of players, if we think ahead to the next Grand Slam and the Grand Slams for the rest of the year, the amount of players that are capable of playing tennis that is potentially too good for Serena is kind of growing. And people still want the Serena scalp. A lot of time, when Angelique Kerber was at number one, she didn't like being hunted she liked being the hunter and she drops off a little bit and we don't hear about her as as much and she's getting on what she does but Serena Williams is Serena Williams there's an entourage there's a thing there's a buzz there's an everything that travels around with her she's very active on social media she's very much out there so every time she steps on the court it doesn't matter if she's coming back if she's seated if she's not seated whatever it is People want the scalp because it is still a big scalp. And that's the thing with Serena Williams, that people are going to go out there like here and want to say they beat Serena Williams and want... (laughs) Oh, I love that. Serilliams. Serilliams. I've not heard that one before. It's it's quite late. It's day 10. Um, That's how we could differentiate them in commentary, Serilliams and Verilliams, because we always call them (laughs) Venus and Serena. And it's always a bit annoying because... You know, why don't you call them by their surnames? Well, that's because there's two of them, you know. Well, yeah, but only one's playing at a time. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, we're not going to call her Cerilliams. I mean, they just talk about Serena Williams. But it's a scalp, isn't it? It's a scalp that everyone wants. Yeah, I think going into the tournament, you want to beat 
the, the top two scalps are the current number one in the world and Serena. I think where, wherever you go, she's the greatest of all time. And then you've got the number one in the world. They are the, the two absolute biggest scalps I think you can possibly get, uh, who, no matter who you are. So do you still think she's not going to do it? Are you now more sure that she's not going to get another slam? Yeah, I, I've, I, I, haven't, I haven't wavered. I didn't wobble. I think her next chance will be Wimbledon. I don't see I don't see Roland Garros. I'm not going to put it. She she's always in the conversation, but I don't think she's high up in that conversation. So I think her next chance will be Wimbledon, and then the U.S. Open just does kind of strange things to her. So I'm not sure about the U.S. Open and and Flushing Meadows. So I think the next big chance for her is Wimbledon. But no, I I, st- I still think I just think it gets tougher because I think there's the mental hurdle. I think physically she looked great, although. The footwork, not so good when she lost to Wang. But physically, she's looking very fit. I just think there's the mental hurdle. And it's just not going to get... It's just not going to get any easier. Now, that reminds me, the the news that the WTA are trialling coaching from the stands. Yes. What do you think? What's your views? Um, You know, the, it's a really difficult one. Genuinely, I've been kind of toing and froing with it the whole time. And even before they made the announcement, when people say, where do you stand? I totally understand the point of view that the unique thing about tennis is that you're on your own. It is gladiatorial and that actually you have to figure things out. And I, I'm actually on board with that. And I really like the fact that there's a, a it's a difference I think for the women that through the tour they have on-court coaching and then they come to the slams and they're not allowed it so and it's like the men go from three sets to five sets at the slam it's like a step up in sort of demand and requirement and so I do really understand that but also from being out on the tour and seeing it I cannot name a single match where I've not seen coaching from the stands whether that's men's or women's. And like that's just my experience. I could not name whether it's... We see it all the time, don't we, on the TV. It pans to the coach and they're pointing, they're talking, they're, they're, they're shadowing a shot. They're, they're always... There is so often so much coaching going on. So I get the whole sort of we shouldn't allow coaching from the stands because we want it to be gladiatorial, but it's already happening all the time. And it happens across the board, men's, women's, in slams, out of slams, doesn't really matter. So I can understand them doing it because it's just one of those things that really is impossible to police. And if you really were dedicated to it being a gladiatorial sport, you wouldn't allow the box anywhere near the court. You'd give them a box up in the stands. You know, so how in rugby, the coaches are up high, aren't they, in like a glass box and they've got all the the footage and the stats and stuff and I know they can signal down and they can radio down because they're allowed coaching but they're actually away from the court there's a reason why we the coaches want to be courtside not only do they want to be courtside they want to be in a corner because it maximizes the communication time they have with the player they can't be near the umpire's chair because they'll the umpire will hear everything that they say and they also they'd rather be talking to them in play than actually at the changeovers so i don't know look it's not really a very clean cut answer but yeah i would like it to be gladiatorial but then you've got to kick the coaches out kick the whole team out say yeah sure you can have a box but they're upstairs right at the back and that's the way it is get on with it yourself so I think you just kind of got to give in to the situation is that all coaches want to be involved. All players want to look at their coach after every single point. There's a reason for this. They want the reassurance, the encouragement, the information. 
Now, some coaches will give more encouragement than information. Others will give more information than encouragement. And we see that with the on-court coaching already with the WTA. Some coaches come on and just give encouragement, just positivity, just breathe. You can do this. You can believe in yourself. You're a champion. There's no actual information being passed. And then others come on with an iPad pointing to where their serves have been going through all of the stats and that sort of thing so it just there's a massive difference there's a massive scale but coaches want to be involved and they want to be involved from start to finish and we also see players get annoyed when the coaches aren't involved enough saying stand up get involved help me do it with me you know whatever it is so I I I like it as a trial and I guess we'll see how it goes um, it's for the rest of 2020, right? Yeah, but it's it's not at the Grand Slams and that's going to be interesting how if they can now do it. Yes, we have the on-court coaching during the regular tour, but if the coaches can kind of go for their life in the stands, it's going to be very interesting to see how they control themselves at the Grand Slams when it's still not allowed. But it's happening anyway. I just If you're a coach in the box and your player is massively missing something in the match that's happening you will tell that you will you'll tell them you will get that information across regardless of what the situation is regardless of the score the match anything whether it's allowed it's not allowed you'll get the information across that's it um and that it just it happens it, it just it happens we see it on tv all the time you know that's why the coaches hate the the cameras in their boxes they put towels over them all the time because otherwise there's just footage of them clearly coaching what do you think um i think i think it's good because it just can't as you said it happens they can't police it so just just go with it let it happen and see how this pans out it's it's a trial i imagine the trial will become something that's permanent uh, patrick moratoglu <laughs> unsurprisingly says that's a great idea uh, <laughs> <laughs> unsurprising I look I it happens all the time I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing it's going to be interesting to see what level the coaches take it to now you know now that now they're allowed to do it does it suddenly become really overt yeah (laughs) and you're kind of like wow or is it still going to be just subtle little things that they were doing before I think that for me that's going to be the interesting side of things is is how it physically changes yeah. or vocally changes. But I do just I do just want to say that like the notion that any match is happening just between the two players and that the coaches are not involved other than a few claps and a come on or fist pump uh, for me is absurd. There might be a couple of notable exceptions, but I I I, I say I've I've never seen it. So the people who say we want it to be a gladiatorial sport and we want the players to work it out for themselves. Okay, well, that's not happening. So, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, I suppose. Report back later in the year. I met a tennis, tennis, tennis podcast listener at the Australian Open. Yay! Is that the second one we've met in real life? <laughs> They exist. <laughs> They're out there. Um, uh, Yana. Hi, Yana. Who was? Uh, I was leaving at the end of at the end of the day, um, probably after a long day. I probably didn't make much sense, and off I was wandering. 
and and she said is Gigi wow listen to the podcast which was amazing um as I say I was just on my way home and uh, it was it was very nice she said hi and that she listens and that she's loving the tennis and she's been here and she's hoping to come back for finals weekend and then Taylor on Instagram I've just been posting some bits and pieces from stuff over here Taylor I posted a picture from the botanical gardens in Melbourne just it was nice a quiet moment Taylor on Instagram sent a message saying I was literally there today listening to tennis <laughs> that's nice oh so we've got two real life fans now plus the one we met at Wimbledon well fans listeners definitely well, yeah. oh, okay <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> putting words in their mouths. <laughs> They're probably outraged. We are not fans. <laughs> we are not fans. We listen to many podcasts and your podcast is just one of the many that we listen to. But I am I thought that was really nice. And I do, Um, I've got a question for you, for us. For okay. You. This is from Adam. Is it from a fan or a listener? No, it's from a fan because Adam says, hi oh. guys, I'm a big fan of the podcast. There you go. See, I knew we had fans. There we go. And I've been listening for about a year. Couldn't find an email address, which way I got in touch by Instagram. But there is, do we have an email address on our website? On the website, yeah, tennis.com. Although Naomi built the website, so um, <laughs> it might, <laughs> might not be there, but we think it's there. Um, okay, this is the question, serious question here. If it's found that Nicholas Jarry and Robert Farrett didn't actually take drugs intentionally they are provisionally suspended and they're cleared how would their rankings work because they would have missed matches for reasons out of their control would they just not gain any points from that period or would their rankings be frozen so that they stay on the same number of points it's you know it's it's really interesting because i've never actually thought about it i've never thought about that yeah and it is something that has happened before um players have cleared their names or there's been a mix up in certain things and uh, unfortunately with the nature of tennis it works both ways so if you are found to have if you are confirmed and found guilty of doping then there there isn't anything they can do retrospectively so in other events in other sports sorry um you obviously if it's a race and it's medal based you have a list so if you came seventh and you get found to have been doping well then the eighth becomes seventh and we've seen lots of medal ceremonies kind of you know retrospective medal ceremonies for the play for the athletes that get bumped up and it's shocking that they don't get to have their moment but they still get to have their result and their position but in tennis there's just nothing you can you can't redo the whole of the australian open if you know so for example when sharapova got found guilty uh, she'd reached the uh, fourth round or the quarterfinals, I think, that particular year. Quarterfinals, maybe. And then retrospectively, it's shown that on her run to the quarterfinals, she had been doping. I mean, you can't just say to every, you can't move anybody up a position. The people that she's beaten, are they've lost. That's it. They may have lost to somebody cheating, but they lost. They're out of the tournament. There's, there's, there is just nothing you can do when it comes to the tournaments. Um, and unfortunately, it's the same the other way so the people who get beaten by the the guilty dopers don't get any sort of extra money extra points any extra help which is a real shame because that could be quite a transformative thing in their careers particularly somebody I think she beat Bencic in the fourth round so Bencic to go from fourth round to quarterfinals back a few years ago well that could have totally transformed her year and it's exactly the same the other way. Unfortunately, if you've been falsely... Well, it's not falsely accused because you've been found to be doping, 
and they they're following the protocol it may be found that it was unintentional and that you know you are you are let off essentially but it's just treated as if you weren't playing you were injured for example you just didn't play and then when it's resolved you'll come back in wherever your ranking falls to that's it and and actually the bigger issue is that when you're suspended you can't enter any tournaments because you're banned and then tournament entry deadlines are about six weeks before um it, it varies for what sort of event you're in but if you call it up for argument's sake six weeks um so you could get your ban lifted but you can't enter any tournaments for another you know, the tournaments won't start for six weeks that you can enter so that's where it becomes really difficult but you can take wild cards and stuff into qualifying and and that's that's what happens so for example i know we talked about this on the episode we did about doping when Yanina wickmeyer um was uh banned because she missed a couple of tests but then it found that it wasn't her fault it was her and xavier melise she came back into the the australian open but they couldn't put her in the main draw despite her being ranked number 11 in the world so she had to go into qualifying so it's just one of those things where it's unfair but there really isn't any other way of doing it that it's the same i think all, all the way through so If when Sharapova got done, it's not fair on the players that she beat. When Wickmeyer got put back into the tournament, it's not play- fair on the players in qualifying that she beats. Um, and with Jarry, uh, it's not fair if he gets found to be pretty innocent of doing anything. Adam, I hope that answers the question and thank you very much for getting it. Now, while you know I always pay 100% attention when you're talking. Right. You've um, been watching the tennis. I am keep... <laughs> Oh, a little bit. <laughs> I'm watching it as well. Don't <laughs> <I>? <laughs> a little bit. It, well, it, it just made me think of a bet I made yesterday. A friendly oh, bet. Oh, okay. Um, with Ben Rothenberg. Right. For the New York Times and the NCR podcast. We bet, and, and I know immediately you're going to come back with, oh, but it's a very different surface. But we made a bet. He said, so Nadal wins the French of Roland Garros. And I said, I said, no team's going to do it this year. I've, oh. I've said in our ATP Tennis Radio prediction, I said team is going to win it this year. And we bet some blue sports drink, which apparently is raspberry. I don't know. It looks horrendous. But we bet this <laughs> bottle of blue sports drink. I mean, just looked awful. Um, and now I'm looking at team playing out of his skin on a hard court, leading Nadal by two sets to love yes and I'm feeling and I know it's clay and I know it's Roland Garros but I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about my bet oh no I agree I, I did the same thing I picked team to win Roland Garros I don't I don't think you'd be the only one with that no I had team as a favorite for this match I think on a hard court team has been playing better than Nadal for sure I think it's just going to be about the physicality but because he's two sets up I think he uh he should be okay haha <laughs> amazing this podcast is going to come out and Nadal's going to have one in five isn't he <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite possibly I'll chop it out I'll chop it out <laughs> did you did you did you see the bit about team's mum Karen no so <laughs> she made a pledge last year I don't know exactly when last year that every time her son Dominic wins a title she'll get a tattoo oh now now unless she really likes tattoos What was she thinking? He plays nearly more tennis than anybody else. He won five <laughs> titles last year. Has she been doing it? Yep, she has. Because she made the... There's a Beijing. She got a panda. She got a feather for another tournament. I thought it was like she was going to add a little bit 
Do you see what I mean? Like what? you, no, you could almost have actual... like a tally going on, like a one. You could do teeny tiny tattoos, but she's actually getting proper tattoos. Oh my, she's going to be covered. She well, exactly. I mean, look, she. We say, you know, we should know our children the best. She should know her son. And five titles last year. And the way he's playing it. And I'm just thinking, if he wins a Grand Slam, surely that's got to be a big one. Oh, oh, do you mean like wings on the back big? Or something, or like the trophy or something. It can't on, just on be... On her face? It can't just be a tiny <laughs> koala or... Well, Dominic Team said, yeah, she'd probably get a kangaroo if I won. But Yeah, nice. <laughs> probably not on the face. But to be honest... <laughs> The age he is and the way he wins titles, they're going to end up on the face <laughs> because... Well, yeah. It's, I mean, wow. I mean, I, I love my children dearly, but I won't do that. There has to be some sort of cap on it. You cannot leave it. Over... He could play for another 20 years. Can you imagine? Exactly. Or maybe not 20, but you know what I mean, right? He plays a lot of tennis. Wait, well, if you're Roger Federer's mum, then how many titles has he got now? A hundred and something? <laughs> just... <laughs> It's just, it's just everything. Everything um, has been tattooed. The ears. And just think when <laughs> just think when Nadal decides that enough is enough, there's all those clay court tournaments that Dominic Team's gonna sweep up before he even moves to any other surface. Oh yes. I mean I just think that I it I just yeah. So um no apparently I'm gonna be so excited now every time team wins the tournament I'm gonna get extra excited. Well I, I think he's gonna get a lot of questions about his mum's tattoos. Now you wanted to talk about I nearly said bedwetting. You want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean look, I've got two four year olds. I mean if you do that's fine. I could talk about that. But um you wanted to talk about ball wetting. Ball wetting, I know. This was controversial. I was quite surprised, actually, a number of times. Firstly, so John Millman, when he played against Roger, now, I know this was quite a while ago in the tournament, but it was just quite an interesting topic. He was wetting the balls on his top. On his top. But he was literally kind of just rolling the ball around, like really trying to get it as wet as possible. I mean, it was a wet top uh, before serving. And the question was, is that illegal? And I, I'd never really thought about it. I've never seen it. I've never seen it at any level, even on the challenges where like anything goes. I've, ne- I've never seen it. Um, so I kind of assumed that it's not really ball tampering because you put balls in your pockets, which are going to be wet. And we all the ball flies quicker when you get it out of your pocket as to one that hasn't been in the pocket. But the rubbing, rolling motion on your top will be different than popping it in your pocket surely yes and it is more deliberate okay you can can understand that but yeah so I I didn't I didn't really know to be honest I just kind of assumed that it was fine because firstly the umpire didn't do anything about it I mean it was blatant there was no hiding it at all he just did it for the whole match over and over and over again and then also we haven't heard anything from the ITF in terms of like retrospectively you know normally players if they've done some damage or any sort of behavior that might have broken the rules of course the umpire deals with it at the time but also the ITF would have a look retrospectively to see if any rules have been broken so we haven't heard anything I've never really thought about ball tampering because we have multiple balls on the court so any ball could get taken out at any time and we have ball change every like 25 minutes so it's, it's different to like cricket where you have a ball one ball for hours and hours on end so I've just never really considered it what Dominic team is doing right now, and again, I am listening to you, is is incredible. I mean, the angles that both of these men 
are creating are sensational. But some of the stuff that's coming on off Team's racket, it's... And I can just confirm, Team's mother just stood up and her neck, face and arms from the elbow down have no tattoos. I thought you were going to say there was a tattoo on her neck. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yep, that's Kit's bull. That's amazing. Sorry, I was genuinely concerned then for a second. Do you know what they have in Australia? Uh, It's quite an open... They have a lot of things. Um... (laughs) Crocodiles. I bought a crocodile. I bought a crocodile made out of plastic bottles. What? Here? In Australia. Oh, great. Is that a gift for someone? Yes, but it looks like a crocodile. As in, it's a it's a furry, cuddly toy, but it's made out of recycled plastic bottles. Oh, so it doesn't look like plastic bottles in the shape of no, a crocodile. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, my word. That wouldn't be that. Yeah, that's your present. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I bet that's coming to me. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a cuddly toy. Um, it's, it's in aid of the bushfires appeal. Tennis Australia have given a unit on site to a company who are selling teddy bears, you know, indigenous creatures and then other random animals. And every single cent is going towards the bushfires appeal. And it's said that they are made out of plastic, recycled plastic bottles. Well, that's good. But it still feels like a cuddly toy. It's a cuddly toy. Yeah, no, it's a complete... Yeah, it doesn't look like a plastic bottle. But no, that's not what I... That's not what I was going to say they had. They have something called a bottomless brunch. Right. We have them in London as well. Oh, do we? Have you not been to a bottomless brunch? Oh, no. so good. Have you been? It's bottomless. It's the best thing ever. I didn't know they existed in London. What are you talking about? I've done loads of bottomless brunches. Have you? Yeah. Go on a while. It's brunch that turns into lunch, that turns into tea, and we might as well have dinner now. <laughs> you just keep going. It's just an excuse to do it early so that everybody can kind of get home at a reasonable time. I haven't been to one of those. Now, is there anything else you want to talk about from the tennis that you have seen or witnessed from afar? Well, I was just going to say... I mean, well, I mean, the standout thing is Ash Barty, really, isn't it? I mean, what a joke. She's just not fussed. You talk about the mental hurdle for Ceruleums. (laughs) She is... That's not becoming a thing. I I think it already is. You can't... When these things just go viral, there's nothing you can do about it, Gigi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure anything's going to go viral. The thing that nearly (laughs) went viral is the horny unicorn mug. Oh, that that was quite popular. It's quite popular. I mean, Judy Murray (laughs) was very impressed... With the horny unicorn. Lots of people were. And the ridiculous thing is, I bought, <laughs> I bought this, we are going to, sorry, we're going back to Ash Barty, but I bought, I bought a pad. It, it was just in one of these discount shops. I quite like the size of it. It's a good size, but, and it's like a spiral thing. It's perfect. But on the front, it's got a unicorn <laughs> and it says time to be a unicorn. <laughs> and... I just wander around with my pad. You know, if I go to lunch, I sit down. And everyone keeps looking at the pad going, I see. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, no, 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 the thing. And I can't even, I don't have a daughter. I can't even say it's my daughter's. And I said, no, no, it's sort of unicorn fetish. (laughs) (laughs) And I... And I said, no, no, I like the shape. I mean, it, it doesn't work, does it? I'm like, I like the shape of the pad because I really you like do. unicorns. That's the way it is. And, and then this evening, and I, I forget that it says time to be a unicorn on it. Um, and I'll post a picture of it. But then 
today when I was leaving the commentary box, um, we had Marion Bartley with us. <laughs> she was chatting away, chatting away. She sits down, about to start commentary of, of Nadal team before I left. And, and she points down to my pad. I'm thinking, what's she doing? And, it's, and she's smiling, going, oh, time to be a unicorn. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, I got it for like 50p because I like the shape of it. You size of love it. it. Come on. I don't. You I've, and unicorns. I've never thought. What other unicorn stuff have you got? Judy Moe is convinced that the horny for your unicorn mug is mine. So am I now. Yeah. I am now. Too. And it's not. Is <laughs> the, <mug, laughs> the mug is not mine. Well, the all the evidence. The pad is mine. Okay. Time to be a unicorn or whatever. That's mine. The mu- I'm going to post the thing of the mug. But yeah, a lot of people have come up to me and said, think about this horny unicorn mug. I'm like, ah. Oh. But, um, but Ash, how did we get to Ash Barty from unicorns? No, we went to Ash Barty first. You took it to unicorns all on your own. <laughs> <laughs> that's sorry, where your sorry. head's at. <laughs> yeah, I th- jet lag? Um, right, sorry, back to Barty. Well, but well, there's nothing really to say other than just phenomenally impressive. Just dealing with it, right? Just dealing with the situation. Talk about the mental pressure, the mental hurdle that there is for Serena. It doesn't seem like there is anything for for Barty. I'm not. Look, she might get beaten. I'm not saying she's invincible, but I don't think it's going to be because she chokes or she gets terrified. I mean, she's just having the best time ever. So. Good luck to Ash Barty. And how cool would that be to have the world number one win the Australian Open and she's Australian? It would be, we've um, done a little bit of work with Casey Delacqua, who, as you know, one of the closest friends to Ash Barty. She made the final in all four majors in doubles. Um, She now got a family of three. She had her most recent child midway through last year which is why she couldn't be at Roland Garros when when Ash Barty won did you see when Ash Barty brought her out onto the court to do her interview yeah I enjoyed that uh, I don't think Casey did uh, <laughs> it <laughs> oh, was they're good friends uh, but when we were having a chat with her she said look she has pulled back a little bit from social media which is understandable but I went for a walk into the center of Melbourne this morning trying to find some gifts to take back just to make my suitcase. You know, I was quite good though. I, I was looking for things that weren't too heavy. So I was taking that into consideration when I was mm. buying gifts. So, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be over. You're, you were already over. You were over before you <laughs> got there. Yeah, but I thought I thought I might lose some stuff and then add some stuff. What are you going to leave just gonna there? I'm going to add some stuff. Well, toiletries. Oh. Well, you oh, use okay. them, right? I use toiletries. Uh, okay, fine. And they're quite yeah. heavy. I don't know how much stuff you're getting through, but <laughs> it's quite a lot. <laughs> but if I if I <laughs> if I lose that, then I can pack it with presents. Uh, but Ash Barty, you walk through Melbourne, she's everywhere. And on the LED screens around Rod Laver Arena, there's an, an ad campaign that she's done. Um, while I've been watching the tennis and, of course, listening to you, there's been I've seen adverts with her for sun cream. Right. And there was an advert f- with her for something else. There's a jewellery store that I walked past that had her in. Oh, yeah, she's doing she's doing all right. She's doing all right for herself. But she's everywhere. <laughs> Can you imagine having that kind of pressure, but at the same time, not... She probably does feel it to a point, but the way she's been playing, the way she's talking, this is just another tournament. It is. Um, she really has kind of uh, convinced herself. She's living and breathing it. So can't wait to see how the tournament pans out. And the next time we speak, we will know the champions. We've still both got Djokovic in, so we've got a chance with that. And I've got Halep. Hello. 
Yeah, well, you picked like seven different people. So I if picked... you can have Halep, then I'll take Barty. I no, hang on a second. I yeah, picked well, Halep. Oh, it's a shame we've run out of time. Well... <laughs> gotta go. Oh, I can't hear this protest. You've got Halep. I've got Barty. <laughs> Just gonna leave it. <laughs> can't believe that. I can't believe you're not allowing no, it. No, no, no. We allow it. We allow it. You've got Halep. I've got Barty. That's it. That's it. It's all done. No, but you didn't pick. You didn't pick Barty. No, I have now. No, but you can't just do that at the semi-final stage. You just you pick two. Who people. does that? I. Who does at that the, at the start of the tournament when there's 128 possible winners? <laughs> you picked one from four, and you picked.